can Christians believe in an ice age? The, the answers are yes, no, or I really don't know. Okay, first one, how many believe that Christians can believe in an ice age? Yes? Okay. How many say no? Oh, there's at least a couple. How many really don't know? Oh, good. We've got some honest people here. <laughs> well, after uh, this discussion, I hope to uh, help you understand that, yes, indeed, we can believe in an ice age. When we see pictures like this of these uh, two woolly mammoths holding trunks, we get all warm and fuzzy about life in the Ice Age. They're cute. <laughs> um, but when we think of an Ice Age, we usually think of glaciers. Glaciers and really cold uh, situation. Well, the peak of the Ice Age, well, first of all, I should ask, how many believe that the whole earth was covered with ice? Yeah? Um, so I need your iPad real quick to, if, if that's okay. Sure. Yeah. Well, if we're going to get it to live stream, I guess we've got to give up on it. Um, let's see. Yes. Uh, at the peak of the Ice Age, scientists estimate that about 30% or 32% of the land mass was covered with ice. So there really wasn't the whole earth covered with ice. Some believe that that is the case, and they call that snowball earth. But they realize that if the whole earth was covered in ice, life couldn't exist. And so they say, those that believe in snowball earth or the uh, complete freezing of the planet, they say that uh, it, the last one happened just before the Cambrian explosion. Anybody have any idea what the Cambrian explosion is? Yeah, a few of you. It's, it's basically in the fossil record as we go down through the layers. It's the last layer, essentially, that has any fossils in it. So the bottom layer below all other layers that have fossils, suddenly we have an abundance of life. All the major phyla of life are represented in that bottom layer. There's no progression to uh, essentially more and more complex. All the major life forms are right there at the bottom called the Cambrian explosion. Now, without my tablet, <laughs> I'm not sure where I should take you. You guys almost got it. it. It has been a challenge trying to communicate my Windows Surface Pro with their Mac system and getting everything <laughs> to work and to be able to live stream. So I appreciate Sean and, and it was Brandon, I think, uh, last night and this morning. Does anyone have any questions before uh, I get my, yeah. Yes. Secular scientists, yeah. Most, most scientists uh, believe that about 32% of the Earth's surface was covered uh, with ice during the Ice Age. Now it's about 10%. You have a question? You know, I'm going to tell you that in a little bit. Yeah, storming? You know, I'm going to show you some maps of that. So <laughs> I'm glad you're eager to uh, learn. It's going to work now? Yeah. Yeah, let's yeah, go. Yeah, 
you know, and I went on a hike today instead of practicing. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, if I can get it to work here, it doesn't want to work. Well, let's go out and retry it. There we go. Okay, it's going to work. Um, if all the ice... Yeah, you had a question? Yeah, uh, so was it like, you know, like in the movies with the big wall of ice, or what, or was there like evidence from Ah, well, we'll kind of cover that too, and if I don't, you ask me again. If all the ice on the glaciers melted today... Uh, so there was no more glaciers, the earth, or I should say the ocean level, would rise 230 feet. So that would be quite a problem. Um, that would mean that most of the state of Florida would be underwater. Uh, Los Angeles in California would be underwater. The central part of California would be a big sea. Uh, it would make quite a change to our world. Um, this, uh, this is a glacier, and this glacier it has retreated. You notice that kind of dark, upside-down mushroom shape in front of the glacier? That is deposits of, of rock, pulverized rock, and maybe even some frozen mud uh, that that glacier brought down when the glacier was a little bigger. Uh, the the uh, bottom part there is called the end or terminal moraine. And the sides are called lateral moraines. And to help us understand that, by the way, the reason I'm going through this explanation is because I have someone in my family that is very uh, strongly in, uh, disagrees with the Ice Age. He doesn't believe that the Ice Age happened. So I'm going through a little bit of this explanation to show you that there is evidence that uh, shows that there really was an ice age. And by most reasonable scientists, they accept the fact <clears throat> that there was an ice age. Um, if you notice in this picture, the dark areas are uh, moraines. And I'm going to kind of zoom in a little closer so you can see that. I didn't make these images, or I would have increased the font size so you could actually read it. But the two uh, dark brown arcs in front of the glacier there are called terminal moraines. There's one at the base of the uh, ridge there, and that's called a lateral moraine. And there's two glaciers that come together here, uh, and that's called a medial moraine, where they come together and deposit their material. Because as they move down, they grind away at the rock and they carry it with them uh, to make these deposits. So we find these features and other features all over the world. Well, I shouldn't say all over the world, in, in every continent. Now, this is a, a picture of an end moraine uh, out in front of a, a real glacier. And you notice it's kind of melted back so that it's left its kind of dark ridge there. But the question is, are there other evidences that there were glaciers? And yes, indeed. These are scratches in bedrock. In other words, the glacier would pick up rocks along the way as it traveled downhill, and these rocks would make scratches in the bedrock and leave this kind of 
image that you're looking at. Now, several years ago, I took a trip to uh, Vancouver Island, uh, Victoria. Have you heard of Victoria, Canada? A nice place to be. Well, <clears throat> this is a picture of the Parliament Building uh, there in Vancouver, BC. And we had gone there on this trip and uh, we, we decided to take this carriage ride and take this tour through part of the town and look at all the, the old houses. And uh, while we were waiting for our carriage to arrive, I went across the street and lo and behold, there was bedrock that had been scratched. Glaciers had been there. In fact, most scientists agree that most of the Puget Sound was glaciated. In other words, the whole Puget Sound was covered with glaciers. And there is evidence right there in BC. Now, if you decide to go there yourself, the way to find it is if you backed up from where this picture was taken, because I pulled this off the internet, and you went to the right, um, there's, a, there's a side street where you wait for the carriages and, and they'll take you on your tours. And right across the street from that is bedrock that's scratched. And unfortunately, I didn't take a picture. I can't believe it. But there's other features um, that indicate an ice age. Now, this picture was taken in Oregon, a place called Steens Mountain. It's this ridge that goes up just over 9,000 feet or right about 9,000 feet. And there's no glaciers there today, but you will find these U-shaped valleys. Now, uh, you might think, well, am I on? Did I lose it? No, we're okay? Good. So <clears throat> you, you have these U-shaped valleys that are characteristic of valleys that are carved out by glaciers. This kind of gives you an idea. Notice the edges are fairly even. Now, if water carves out a notch or a, uh, a valley, it doesn't carve it in a U-shape. This, this particular uh, gorge or notch in a basalt ridge is a picture of Picture Gorge, Oregon. Picture Gorge, Oregon is, um, oh, I don't know, about 40 miles or so west of John Day. And this is the John Day River that goes right on through this, this notch. Now, water catastrophically cut that notch. And if you were here Friday night and I tried to do a demonstration, but my camera didn't work for the, you know, the kids at least saw it, where water can blast through solid rock and cut a channel, and that's called a, a water gap. It's called a water, and this is a water gap. The, if, if it had gone on for eons of time, the river would have found a low spot and made its way in a different spot instead of cutting through this basalt ridge. But when it cuts through, it's a V-shape, not a U-shape. Now we can go back to Steens Mountain and we can see the U-shape of a valley that's been cut by a glacier. It's pretty obvious to see the difference. So when we see these U-shaped valleys, we know that it was glaciated and glaciers uh, cut that. Now, I'm, I'm going to show you a, a little video, but uh, there's no sound, so I'll just have to tell you what he's talking about. This guy is examining 
uh, glacial till. That's the moraines. Oh, let's see. Different grain sizes. It's, it's heterogeneous, unstructured. These pebbles scattered around make it look a little bit like a fruitcake. There's a lot of sand, and there's also finer material. I can feel it in here. There's silt and probably even clay filling in the pore spaces. And look down there, there's even a boulder. So what does this unsorted sediment tell us? What kind of environment was it deposited in? Well, this boulder is a clue. This is actually a glacial erratic. It looks like it might be a limestone. It's certainly a different rock than any of the bedrock in this area and must have been brought here by a glacier. And in fact, unsorted sediment like this is very common in glaciated areas. Glaciers in the mountains pick up a variety of grain sizes. Dirt, cobbles, sand, boulders, everything. And as they're moving along, they smear some of that material along the base and produce something like this. Also, when glaciers are melting out at the end of their journey, they can produce a mixture of unsorted grain sizes, just like this. And in fact, this is what's called glacial till. Okay, <clears throat> glacial till. So that's one of the evidences of a glacier. We, we covered U-shaped valleys. Uh, we covered uh, the moraines, the lateral moraines, the terminal moraines. And he's talking about what's in the moraines. If, if it was waterborne, then the water would sort it out into different sizes and you would get layering. You'd see these striations or layers in the material. But if a glacier does it, it is not sorted. If wind blows material, it is sorted. But glaciers, it's all mixed together and then kind of gets uh, uh, cemented together like he was showing. And glacier erratics are bigger stones that get caught up in the ice and are transported sometimes great distances away. So understanding uh, these evidences, we can see where glaciers have been and where they haven't been. But I'm going to interrupt this process and tell you what's going to go on here. I, uh, I have some ice for our ice age. I'm going to put it in the pot. I'm going to add a little water so that it... Uh, whoop. There we go. So we're going to get the pan cold. And then we'll turn on the burner and we'll try to heat things up. You, t you alert me if you see steam coming out of there, okay? <clears throat> so, this is a map of areas that we know were glaciated. And you'll notice it's predominantly the, uh, the northern, well actually it doesn't have Antarctica in this picture really, but Pay attention to where the white is, where glaciers were, and the brown color, reddish brown, is where the glaciers were not. And, and isn't it curious? Do, do you know where uh, Alaska is on that, on that map? Yeah, isn't it curious that a major portion of Alaska wasn't glaciated? 
That is significant. But also notice up on the right-hand corner of the picture, you will see that, uh, oh, you can't see those too well? Yeah, I guess you can on that one. Um, Siberia. Part of Siberia wasn't glaciated either. Interesting. Well, what does it take to make a glacier? This is uh, Glacier Bay National Park in Alaska. There's a guy uh, with his uh, kayak on there. But notice the glacier on the right-hand side of the picture just above the water. That is full of, you might say, dirty stuff. I mean, there's a bunch of rock fragments and things in there, and that'll move on down and eventually become till, like the guy just talked about. So what is the recipe for a glacier? Any guesses? What's the recipe? Way in the back, what's the recipe for a glacier? Snow, lots of snow. But you know, um, it takes more than snow. You have to have snow that lasts all summer so it can be added to the next winter. So yes, the recipe for glaciers is a ton of snow. In fact, you know, you guys are probably aware that snow can be wet or dry, or maybe all you have here in Tennessee is wet snow. I don't know. I've never seen it snow here since I haven't been here this time of year. But uh, it can take anywhere from 10 feet of wet snow to make one foot of glacier ice, all the way up to 100 feet of snow to make one foot of glacier ice, depending on how dry and fluffy the snow is. So yes, it takes a lot of snow and you have to have it accumulate through the summer. Now, I didn't really put the ice and turn the burner on soon enough, so uh, we'll have to kind of move on and we'll come back and review that in a minute. So this shows a picture or a diagram of oceans evaporating that moisture goes up into the atmosphere and is transported by winds. Uh, it becomes clouds, and then when it's over land masses, then it tends to give off its moisture, and you end up with rain or snow. And what is that called? Kids learn this in school. Kids, do you know what that's called? It's called a cycle, but what kind of cycle? It's a water cycle because it, it collects in the mountains. And today we saw how it was collecting in the mountains and going down in the streams, eventually rivers and back out to the ocean. So we are aware of the water cycle. And I hear noise happening behind me. So I know that the water is starting to boil. And most of us know what's going to happen. Um, we have... I. I had to speed it up because we don't have a long time to wait for the water cycle to occur. So I've added some power, some energy in the teapot. We're going to see steam come out of the teapot. And because I put ice in the bucket, it's going to condense on the pan. And we will probably get some drips in the cup. That is the water cycle. But if you don't understand that, you can't understand the ice age. So that is important.
So, uh, in, order, in order to get a large amount of evaporation off the ocean, the oceans have to be warm. So, if the oceans are cool, you get less evaporation off the ocean. So, if you artificially cool down the earth, let's say God gave you the ability to turn up the heat or turn down the heat. Now, if you turn up the heat, you're going to get lots of evaporation off the ocean. It's going to go into the atmosphere, make clouds, come down as rain or snow, and back to the ocean. So that's going to really speed up the process if we turn up the thermostat and make the earth warm. With me so far? So what if we turn the temperature down? We cool the earth. There's less evaporation off of the ocean, so there's less precipitation. Uh, summers will probably be shorter, so you might get some snow that carries on. Oh, we're starting to steam. I don't see any drips yet. And uh, once we get some drips, if the kids want to get some wiggles out and come up and look closely, as long as we don't knock anything off, we can do that. Um, so if, if we cool down the earth, we get less evaporation, less rain, uh, less snow, but we might get some snow to carry on through the summer and add to a glacier. You with me so far? But the problem is it doesn't fit real-world evidence because scientists have taken these weather computers and they put in this information to cool down the earth and then they wait for the computers to tell them what the weather cycles are like and where the snow gets deposited, what areas are warm and what areas are cool, and it doesn't match. North of Idaho and Montana into Canada, the glacier ice on conservative estimates is 3,000, was, not is today, was 3,000 feet deep. However, there are other scientists that are a little more uh, optimistic about what happened, and they look at evidence, and they believe that the glacier ice was 10,000 feet deep. Now, how can you get that much ice? And they know that it was there because of the evidence of the glaciers that they can see, scratches in bedrock, they have the till, they have these end moraines and side moraines, so they know the glaciers were at least 3,000 feet deep. But when they run these computer models and they uh, plug in lower temperatures, they you know, use the computer and lower the temperature, they don't get that kind of deposit. Not nearly that much ice. So are we dripping? Kids, you want to come up and look? Just don't bump the table. See, the steam is coming out of there and it's hitting this cold pot and then it condenses and drips into the cup. Oh, careful, careful, careful.
see this is the steam is water the water comes out of the pot and hits this pot and because it's cold it condenses and drips into the cup What's, uh, for the just to hold the pot hold it all I mean yeah to hold this all together No, they're not. Because I didn't know what size pot Sarah had. So I had to make it adjustable. Okay, you've seen it enough? Let's go ahead and turn this down. And we'll stop the process. Well, maybe I will. Let me sneak past you. Yep, you can do that too. Okay, well, let's go back to our seats. Okay, thank you. So in our current weather system, the sun is the driving force. The sun heats up the ocean, heats up the earth, and drives this weather cycle. So if you, if you put sunglasses on the sun and you cut down the sunlight, cut down the energy, then you cool the earth, but you don't get the massive amount of snow buildup that we know existed in the past. The scientists are baffled. In fact, there's been more than one scientist that said, you know, if there wasn't so much evidence of the Ice Age, it would be science fiction. They just don't understand it because it doesn't fit. Well, if God gave you the ability to manipulate the environment, what would you do to create an Ice Age? With the information I've given you so far, what would you do to create an Ice Age? Okay, turn the heat up over the whole earth. If you turn the heat up over the whole earth, then the summers are longer and the snow doesn't stay. It melts and you don't end up with an accumulation of ice. What do you think? Okay, <laughs> that's quite an explanation. Back there, ash, you know, that's part of the picture, yeah. What if you just sent a flooding that suddenly turned down the temperature? You know, you're getting there. <laughs> you're getting there. Well, let's, let's take a, a look at what the Bible has to say. Maybe we'll have some clues. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. You know, as I mentioned, the water at the beginning of the flood that rained down was water that came from under the crust of the earth. Now, the, the, let's see, I, since I didn't review this, I made some changes, so I, I don't think, no, I don't have it on here. It wouldn't make some of the say, or changes, or it wouldn't save some of the changes, but <clears throat> um, 
the water that came blasting out from under the crust of the earth was hot. I mean, really hot. Uh, there's been several deep holes, you can't call them wells, but several deep holes dug on this earth. And the, the Russians went the deepest, I think about seven and a half miles. Seven and a half miles, they bored this hole down in the earth. And when they got all the way down there, um, it was so hot that their bits wouldn't hold up anymore. You know, the friction of the boring plus uh, the heat th that was in already down there, their equipment wouldn't hold up anymore and they had to abandon the project. But what was amazing is when they got down that far, they discovered two things by surprise, I mean, that surprised them. One, hot water. There was highly mineralized water down there. Now, no surface water can penetrate down that far. You get close to five miles deep, and the pressures are so great that there are no cracks. The, the rocks and everything are just kind of like melted together. There is no cracks. So no surface water can penetrate down that far. But what's the water doing down there? And the second thing they found is slivered and pulverized rock. Huh. Could be evidence of a flood, don't you think? Where did most of the water come from that caused the flood? From under the crust of the earth. What's down there is residual from what didn't make it all the way to the top. But the bottom line for our information right now is that it was hot. So this... Um, this water at the time of the flood was not only hot because of where it came from, but there were other forces, volcanic forces that heated up water. Back in my neck of the woods, uh, Washington State and uh, Oregon, there are layers upon layers on layers of basalt. Basalt is volcanic, was volcanic rock that flowed like a river one layer on top of another. And the thing that's amazing is that it flowed underwater. That's really tough to explain. But this stuff flowed underwater. Now, if you take a, a material that's extremely hot, like volcanic uh, flow, and it hits water, what happens? <laughs> you know, it turns that water into steam. So how can you have a scenario where you have layer upon layer upon layer that's flowing underwater? You have to have water deep enough with enough pressure that it doesn't turn to steam. And that's what we find in Washington and Oregon back on the east side with all these layers. So you have that kind of activity that's going on. There's some people that believe that the uh, radioactive decay during the flood process, God tweaked it and turned it up. I don't honestly know. Uh, I don't know that there's any way of knowing for sure, but when they look at the evidence of radioactive decay where um, scientists that don't believe in the Bible and the flood, they use these uh, radioactive elements to show that these rocks are billions of years old. What creation scientists believe from their study is that actually God tweaked the, uh, oh, the, the draw between the elements in an atom 
and these elements became much more rapid in their decay process. If that was true, that would add to the heat. Bottom line is, the ocean was hot. Michael Ord, who uh, lives in Montana and has studied the Ice Age for over 40 years, believes that the Arctic Ocean was in the mid-80s. You could go swimming in the Arctic Ocean after the flood. So the water was hot. Now, if you combine that with, oh, let's see if I put it on here. No, I didn't. Yeah, okay. If you combine that with volcanic activity during the flood, you will have a bunch of what in the atmosphere? What? If, no, if, if volcanoes are erupting during the flood process, what gets put in the air? Ash. Well, what does ash do? It's kind of like putting sunglasses on the sun. In other words, that ash tends to filter out a lot of the energy from the sun. Not only that, but if you have evaporation off of the oceans, you're going to get tremendous cloud cover in certain regions of the earth. So you're going to have that reflecting sunlight. So that immediately after the flood, you have hot oceans and you have a lot of uh, ash and cloud cover that cools the land masses. Now that is the recipe for an ice age. In other words, without the Bible's flood, there would be no ice age. The Bible's flood is the key because of hot oceans, cool land masses. You know, the, the scientists know that, but they can't figure out how that could be because it doesn't fit into their weather modeling computers. Um, so if we, if we look at this uh, cycle, this water cycle, we can understand that hot oceans evaporate tremendous amounts of moisture that condenses over cold land masses and comes down as precipitation. And in a major part of the earth, after the flood, it came down as snow, storm after storm after storm. But other areas got lots of rain. Remember, only about 32% of the landmass was covered with glacier ice during the Ice Age. The rest of it got rain. <clears throat> so let's now look at some questions that I believe the Ice Age answers. And here's a list of questions that we'll go through a few of these. Why did people tend to be nomadic and hunter-gatherers? You know, in, in school they taught us, you know, as man progressed from primates and, you know, stone age, and he was barely above a grunting animal. You know, there was a period of time where man was hunters and gatherers. D did any of you get that in school? Well... The reason why a lot of people were hunters and gatherers is because the weather conditions weren't stable. You know, as one area would build up with snow and ice, it would impact another area. And so the weather patterns were changing. It wasn't real stable. So if, if somebody wanted to plant a garden or some fruit trees so that they could have food to eat, the weather patterns may change and suddenly it'd get wiped out. So it didn't make sense for them to do a lot of that in a good portion of the earth because 
they couldn't count on it. It would take energy and time to invest and they wouldn't get any return. So they tended to be hunters and gatherers and, and move with animals who also moved according to weather changing uh, or changing weather patterns. Um, why did people dwell in caves? Was it because they hadn't progressed enough to figure out how to build houses? No. In fact, I believe men back then were smarter than us today. But they tended to live in caves at least close to the areas where it was glaciated because the weather conditions could be very harsh. And so there's evidence that people lived in caves. Now this, I took off the internet. It's supposed to be in a cave in France. Um, and it's supposed to be historic or prehistoric, they call it. But I don't know that there's really such a term as prehistoric. How do you get before history? But at any rate, I don't know if this is genuine or not. It looks too good, honestly, to, to really be genuine. Most of them probably look more like this. So these people that were trying to seek out shelter during these major weather changes were staying in caves uh, until the, the major storm had passed, and then they could come back out and try to look for food and that sort of thing. So they had lots of time to uh, make pictures on the walls of the caves. Um, another one, what about people migrating around the world? You know, um, the Ice Age has the answer for that. Because if you look at this picture, and, and actually, let's zoom in a little closer. Uh, you notice uh, in the top left, you have Siberia going into Alaska. And then you have this green corridor that goes down to the United States. Uh, this was probably early on uh, in the Ice Age. In other words, you saw that other map that I'm going to show you again here in a minute. Uh, you saw the other map where uh, it was glaciated across Canada. But here is a corridor. And I believe that about 100 years after the flood, this scenario was set up. In other words, the weather patterns tracked up through Siberia, across to Alaska, and down into North America. And this created a corridor that both man and animals could navigate without even uh, crossing water. Because if you look, the yellow areas are areas that were land during the Ice Age. Because if you have this tremendous amount of ice that builds up on the continents, then it's going to lower the ocean level. In fact, uh, scientists believe, depending on what part of the globe you're talking about, scientists believe that the ocean level was three, I'm sorry, two to four hundred feet lower than it is today. Two to four hundred feet lower. So that would open land bridges, as they're called, to essentially all parts of the world. So the animals and people could migrate and do God's command and fill the earth. Now here is that other picture, probably a little later in the Ice Age, where Canada gets glaciated, and you notice the glaciers come all the way down to Indiana and Ohio. There's evidence that glaciers came down that far. They weren't real deep or real thick, 
They were more sheet glaciers, but nonetheless, it was glaciated. But up there in Alaska, it wasn't. Now, I, don't, I didn't really go into this in previous uh, or my practice sessions for this, but I probably won't get to see most of you guys again. So I'll go ahead and tell you briefly that I believe the re one of the main reasons why the lowlands of Alaska was never glaciated is because of the Arctic Ocean. If you go to Google Earth, uh, you bring it up on your computer, you can run the cursor around and it'll tell you the elevation. Has anyone done that? You guys haven't done that? Oh, that's fun. <clears throat> you can go to any part of the world and you can put the little cursor on that and see what the elevation is. Well, you can put it out in the ocean and you can see how deep it is. Well, the, the Arctic Ocean up there is an average of 12,000 feet deep. That was a huge bowl of warm water up there that lasted for a long time. Because if you consider a bowl of water and it's hot to begin with, and you start to cool it down, where does the cold water go? To the bottom. But the, the top of the water remains warm. And over time, if you continue to cool it, then the level between the cold water and the warm water rises and rises and rises until finally the top is cool. That's what happened up there in the Arctic Ocean. And I believe that is the key why we find the remains of uh, animals up there, not just woolly mammoths, but all kinds of animals, squirrels and foxes and wolves and uh, lions and in Europe, they, they've even found hippos and rhinoceroses, all kinds of stuff up there. Well, what are they doing way up there? For a long time, it was warm because of that big, warm bowl of water. So we can talk more about that, uh, you know, uh, individually if you like. But why is there evidence of life in the Sahara Desert? Did you know there was? The Sahara Desert has signs of life. Uh, I found this picture on the internet because I've never been to the Sahara Desert. Um, and so the Sahara Desert is pretty bleak. It's essentially no rain. But at one point in time, there was life. Now this is a pictograph of animals, different kinds of domesticated animals and people. They're kind of stylized, so they're not exact proportions necessarily. But this is pictographs or evidence in the Sahara Desert that people lived there at one time. There's evidence of lakes and river drainages in the Sahara Desert. But it isn't that way today. So what made the difference? Here, here is uh, a Google Earth image of the Sahara Desert. And you notice my little arrow is pointing out the Nile River Delta. It's, uh, it's a green spot in uh, that whole region. But uh, this whole area during the Ice Age was well watered, as I believe the southwest part of the United States was well watered. There's evidence. I mean, I've gone on these field trips and we've uh, examined quite a number of playa lakes. These are lakes that were lakes during the Ice Age that aren't anymore. Uh, so here in the United States, 
uh, in the southwest part where it's pretty dry now and not much rain during the ice age they got a lot of rain it supported life so it kind of gives us a clue uh, if we tour those areas they'll tell us the Anasazi Indians uh, or yeah basically they're Indians uh, North American natives they suddenly left and they don't know why well there were weather changes that I believe at least the weather changes didn't bring moisture to their area anymore. Um, why do we find man-made structures underwater and off the coast of Pakistan, India, Japan, Europe, and many other places around the world? Did you know that existed? It's amazing. There, I read a book called Ice Age Civilizations, and there's tons of places, I guess, off of India, Japan, where these divers go out and they find stuff under anywhere from 50 to 250 feet of water. Man-made structures. And, and here's a, a few more. So really, the city of Atlantis that we've heard about that disappeared, well, there were many cities, not just Atlantis. There's many cities. But you know what? There's not just man-made structures. This map shows... Uh, the Ice Age coastline of Florida and uh, Alabama, I think, Mississippi, Louisiana, that whole area there. But you notice that red X? That red X uh, marks a spot where divers have been going down and are intrigued with cypress tree forests that are underwater. And there's some remains of some of the trees. This one is uh, a stump of an old cypress tree. So how can we explain this? Well, if we understand the ice age and the amount of ice that collected on the continents, the ocean levels were substantially lower. And not only that, but the climate was temperate. During the ice age, along the coastlines uh, of all our continents, because of the warm water, it was a pleasant place to live. So people built cities, even though inland it may be ice or cold and harsh, at least near the coastlines, it was more temperate. So they built their cities and uh, existed there until the Ice Age came to a rapid end and drowned them all. So let's look at the Bible and some questions uh, in the Bible that I had. Um, the first one, why was Job such a rich man? He was the richest man in the East, the Bible says, and he had a lot of stuff. Well, uh, if, you, if you read the story of Job, or as I read it, I became puzzled because he came from the land of Uz. And if you research to where the land of Uz was, it was in a desert. How can you raise all those animals in a desert? Well, if you look in the area of uh, where Uz was, <clears throat> Wikipedia even says that there used to be brown bears, Asiatic lions, zebras, Asian elephants, and rhinoceroses in that area. Can you believe it? It's a desert. Well, if we read in Job 1, it says, There was a rich man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. But now look at this. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 
3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of, of the East. Now, how can you have that many animals in a desert? Impossible. But the Ice Age answers that question because that area was well watered. In fact, creation scientists have plugged in the information that they believe would have been uh, typical of that area of the world into these super weather computers, you know, warm oceans, cool land masses. They plug that information in and they get super canes, not just hurricanes, but super canes coming off of the Indian Ocean and just dumping across the Arabian Peninsula all the way to Israel and beyond. The area got lots of water. Um, so here's, here's another question. Why is Israel more like a desert if the Bible says it was a land flowing with milk and honey? And if the land of Canaan was well watered, why did they later have to dig wells? Well, the Ice Age, again, is the answer. Um, so let's take a look at Genesis 13, starting in verse 8. It says, So Abram said to Lot, Please, let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you, if you take the left, then I will go to the right. And if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. You see, there had been a, a bit of a squabble because Abraham had lots of people in herds and Lot had lots of people in herds. And, you know, you get too many animals grazing in one little spot and it, it kind of overdoes it. But the whole region was well watered, so there was no reason to be right close together. So... Uh, it says, And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that is, or that it was well watered everywhere, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go toward Zor. Did you catch that? Well watered. The whole region was well watered. And we believe that Sodom and Gomorrah was in the vicinity, if not in, the, the, the Dead Sea. In fact, I've watched some YouTube videos where they've explored the Dead Sea and it's kind of on the border of some other country. And so they found some structures that are just covered with, uh, covered with uh, salt. It looks like ice, but it's covered with salt down in the Dead Sea. And they know it must be man-made structures just by the shapes. So it seems to be or there seems to be evidence that Sodom and Gomorrah were probably right on the edge of the Dead Sea when it was much lower, and the area was well watered. Um, oh, and the land of Zor, or Zorah, is the same region, like between the, the Dead Sea and Mount Sinai, down that portion of the Arabian Peninsula. So we're, all, we're talking about the same area. Now, this rock is thought by some to be the rock that Moses struck that the water came out of. And if you look in that area, it doesn't look very good. I mean, there's not a blade of grass or weed or anything there. It's, it's a desert. 
and this is the same general region where Job lived. Well, <clears throat> also Moses, you remember Moses. Remember when he ran away from Egypt because he got in some hot water there? Well, he, uh, he ended up going to the land of Midian and uh, he herded sheep for, what was his name, Jethro? He herded sheep for him. Well, how can you herd sheep in a stark desert? Now, I believe that at this point in time, the uh, Ice Age was coming to an end. And the massive storms, the massive rain that this area got had diminished. But it still got enough rain to grow some vegetations for or veg grass, etc., for Moses to be out there at least part of the year grazing his father-in-law's sheep. Uh, this is a rock found in that same general area of what some believe is the real Mount Sinai, and it has petroglyphs uh, of kind of stylized uh, bulls and, and sheep and some other animals. Uh, but again, this is an area that today is, is a stark desert. In Genesis 41, uh, by the way, I believe that the end of the Ice Age was, or I should say the Ice Age was coming to an end about the time of Joseph. You know, the seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. I believe that that marked a significant change in weather patterns. So here in Genesis 41, it says, When the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said, the famine was in all lands. But in the land of Egypt there was bread. In verse 55, So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph. Whatever he says, you, or says to you, do. Famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all lands. You know that all lands, all inclusive, is four times in just a few verses. It must mean something. Well, Joseph uh, rose to power at approximately 1700 B.C. And the best estimates are that the flood was about 2300 B.C. So there was about 500 years, 550 years or so, from the time of the flood to the time of this period in, of Joseph where I believe the, the Ice Age was coming to an end. And this marked a severe change. I mean, the, the seven years of plenty was a change. They got lots of rain. Things were productive, followed by a major shift. Because I believe that as areas, certain areas warmed up and uh, it would cause changes in the way the weather was, eventually we stabilize into the more weather pattern that we experience today. So Siberia, yeah, there's a lot of ice there. Northern Alaska, there's a lot of ice there. But it wasn't during the Ice Age.
You know, there's many other fascinating topics that we could talk about. We could talk about the demise of the woolly mammoths. Something that intrigues me is the Red Record uh, documents the Ice Age. The Red Record is the oldest Native American, North uh, Native American uh, uh, history record. They trace their beginning from creation all the way through moving from Asia up through uh, Alaska and across the United States and finally settling in Pennsylvania. They make note of the Ice Age. They make note of the animals being up there in Alaska during the Ice Age. So there's, there's a lot of other topics that we could cover, but I think I've shown you enough that you can trust God's word. You know, when, when God's word says that the land of Canaan was a land flowing with milk and honey, it really was, because during that time, they got lots of rain. You don't have to distrust the Bible. If there seems to be something in conflict, you just need to study further. Just like those that came uh, on fr last night, uh, the Coconino sandstone layer, it seemed to be a real challenge for creationists because it seemed to be desert. But as they studied and studied, they realized there's no way. It had to be laid down in a, in a water environment or marine environment. So I would like us to uh, stand and uh, have prayer before we dismiss. And then if you have questions, you want to talk to me afterwards, I'd be happy to entertain that. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for inspiring us, directing us, and giving us answers. Lord, we want to thank you for giving us a plan of salvation so that we can escape this earth of sin and destruction. Lord, we ask that you would be with each person here, take them home safely, and help them to come back again and worship here, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.